ago, we had on Jesse Coleman with Documented to walk through how the same dark money network that once funded climate denial is now funding state treasurers in an effort to push back against so-called woke capital or woke capitalism. It's a reference to environmental, social, and governance guidelines in the finance space, or ESG, which, if anything, has mostly been a pretty handy greenwashing tool for a lot of polluting industries over the years. That was until the Securities and Exchange Commission announced that the next phase of its ESG plan was to require companies to disclose climate risk. Seems logical enough. Climate impacts could definitely have a financial impact as well, both in terms of extreme weather events and in terms of legislative changes, not to mention the massive amount of litigation currently facing many companies that are the drivers of climate change. But remember, Coleman told us the anti-ESG crowd, they're reaching way back into the vault of climate change denial, claiming not only that climate change isn't happening, but that actually more CO2 in the atmosphere is a net gain. You know, CO2 isn't bad for you. It's causing a great greening of the earth. Coleman also told us about one state treasurer in particular. Riley Moore, the treasurer of West Virginia, who's a real leader of all of this, was actually on a podcast with the head of SFOF. And he was talking about why the state treasurers are so perfect as a weapon against climate policy. And he said, the attorneys general, right. they have to work through the courts. I speak with the taxpayer's money. With the stroke of my pen, I can change things and it doesn't have to go through the court system. That podcast is called Gallantly Streaming. By the way, who knows why? It's the State Financial Officers Foundation podcast. Here's Riley Moore speaking with them in February 2022. We're able to kind of speak with the taxpayer dollars, uh, is what I'd say. And because you're not just a bureaucrat in here. You are an elected official and you are there to represent the equities and interests of your constituents. And you can do that in a way that's uniquely different than, say, attorney generals do, where it's, they might sue over a certain issue or something like that. This has more of an immediate effect. Um, and the end of the day, citizens are paying taxes. Industries are paying taxes to the state in which you manage those dollars. And so there is, I believe, a responsibility to have those dollars invested um, in a manner that reflects the interest and equity of your constituents. Moore became a real hero of the anti-ESG right when he kicked BlackRock out of West Virginia in January 2022. That was shortly after CEO Larry Fink encouraged American companies to commit to carbon neutrality. It's interesting that Moore specifically notes there how much more treasurers can do than attorneys general. Because guess who else is getting in on the anti-ESG action? This is not a case about climate change. This is a case about separation of powers and ensuring that the legislative branch steps in and that unelected bureaucrats don't try to weigh in when they don't have power to act. That's right. 
It's Patrick Morrissey, Attorney General of West Virginia, the man who brought us West Virginia versus EPA. The Supreme Court ruling in that case doubled down on a convention entirely manufactured by Supreme Court justices in recent years, something they call the major questions doctrine. Don't be fooled by the doctrine part. It's only been around since the early 80s. There's nothing established or original about this idea. It's just a very handy tool that conservative justices like to use. We've explained major questions doctrine on this podcast a few times, but here's NYU law professor Richard Revez defining it for us back when West Virginia versus EPA was being argued at the Supreme Court earlier this year. The major questions doctrine is a doctrine that um, was used in the past extremely rarely. I mean, the Supreme Court maybe invoked it once every five years, only five times before this past year in its whole history, starting around 1980, in cases that were actually quite exceptional for some reason or other. But in the last couple of years, it's a doctrine that's been invoked promiscuously by opponents of regulation And the court has shown great interest in embracing it. I mean, it basically says that if an agency decision is going to have vast economic or political significance, it needs to be authorized explicitly by Congress. Um, And that the agency shouldn't be doing it under kind of delegated authority in a somewhat open-ended statute. Uh, This term, the court has already invoked it um, in striking down the OSHA vaccine and testing mandate, in in, um, striking down the eviction moratorium, and it obviously played a big role in the argument yesterday. So it's become, you know, it's gone from something quite extraordinary that happens where the court really only deals with it every several years, maybe every five years, to something that ends up like as a central issue in the Supreme Court multiple times a year. Um, And this whole transformation has happened very quickly, I'd say, in the last couple of years. And now West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey is injecting major questions doctrine into, you guessed it, the anti-ESG debate. We'll be back with more on that right after this quick break. I'm Amy Westervelt, and this is Drilled. If you're listening to this show, you are probably at least climate curious. And one thing that I get asked all the time is, okay, I understand that this is a big problem. We need to act now, but what can I do? The climate crisis can feel like such a huge, overwhelming problem, which is why this April, former U.S. Vice President Al Gore and the Climate Reality are holding a free training on what's happening with the climate and what we can personally do. And actually, I'm going to be part of that training. It all happens in New York City, April 12th through the 14th, and it's going to be big, really big. If you want to know what climate change means for your future, your career, your part of the country or the world, this training is for you. You'll get to hear straight from former U.S. Vice President Al Gore, and a lineup of incredible thought leaders, scientists, experts, and more at the top of their fields. I'll be doing a training on climate disinformation as part of this. You'll come away with a real understanding of what's happening to the planet and the skills to make a difference. 
If you complete the training, you'll join the Climate Reality Leadership Corps, a community of nearly 50,000 changemakers all over the world. To learn more and apply, visit climaterealityproject.org slash new dash York. That's climaterealityproject.org slash new dash York. I hope to see you there. Environmental justice is a talking point in every politician's toolkit. But do you ever wonder where it all began? On this week's Throughline, we're taking you back to 1978, where a fight against a toxic dump in North Carolina started the environmental justice movement. Join NPR's Climate Week and listen to Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Earlier this year, the Securities and Exchange Commission released its proposed climate rule. Here's SEC head Gary Gensler announcing and explaining that rule on CNBC. We've had this regime for 90 years where investors get to decide on what risks they want to take. Companies make full and fair disclosure and increasingly companies are disclosing climate risk. And so we're stepping in to help bring some consistency, some standardization with regard to those disclosures, some qualitative disclosures around strategy and governance and the like, but also, yes, some metrics as well with regard to uh, their greenhouse gas emissions and the financial effects on their current financials. And let's just say industry was not a fan. Your predecessor has a pretty stark warning in the Wall Street Journal today about the path that you're going down, where he worries that it would draw legal challenges, that it's a matter that should be left up to Congress, that perhaps no single agency should be responsible for setting climate policy, um, which requires so much uh, more input than just a single agency's determinations. What are, what's your response to those criticisms and to those who feel that this puts at risk your central task of safeguarding capital allocation? Well, I- Kelly, I'm sorry, I don't accept the premise. We at the SEC are just narrowly focused on disclosure and investor protection on one side and capital formation on the other side, efficiency of the market in the middle. So this is trying to bring some standardization, some consistency to what's already happening. We had our first environmental disclosures in the 1970s. We have a climate risk guidance from 2010. So this is trying to build upon that and bring some consistency in this one area. This is so investors are better informed, more consistently informed. And so companies on the other side also get the benefit of consistently sort of knowing how to kind of have that conversation with investors. This is not about, with all respect, what some people have said, a broader bit about um, climate policy. It's, it's, it's about disclosure and time-tested rules of materiality around disclosure. I don't think it's a freak coincidence that the fossil fuel industry's love affair with ESG ended, really ended, in 2021, just about the time the SEC began talking seriously about requiring climate disclosure, as opposed to just continuing with the voluntary disclosures that had been in place since 2010. 
In other words, as soon as it looked like ESG might actually mean less money, not more, the industry branded it as woke capital and began looking for ways to get rid of it. Now, in addition to the dark money funded state treasurers pushing policies that bar their states from doing business with banks or investment firms that are anti-fossil fuel, or as they put it, part of the war on energy. Mr. Major Questions himself, Patrick Morrissey, has filed formal comments about the SEC's proposed climate rule. It includes a whole section entitled Major Questions Doctrine. Even if the relevant statutes were ambiguous, the SEC's view of its authority in the proposed rule would violate the Major Questions Doctrine, it reads. An unelected body like the SEC cannot answer major questions like those in the proposed rule. Then it cites West Virginia versus EPA as precedent, quoting the ruling as saying that the major questions doctrine recognizes that, quote, in certain extraordinary cases, both separation of powers principles and a practical understanding of legislative intent make courts reluctant to read into ambiguous statutory text the delegation to an agency claimed to be lurking there. And yes, Morrissey's formal comment to the SEC is co-signed by a long list of other Republican attorneys general. So we know he's sending out the bat signal to Raga again. That's the Republican Attorneys General Association, which regular listeners of this podcast are probably tired of hearing about already. Morrissey is a member, of course. He's held leadership positions both in RAGA and its fundraising arm, the Rule of Law Defense Fund. In 2020, those organizations ponied up close to $2 million for Morrissey's reelection campaign. Here's Lisa Graves, former Senate investigator and the head of True North Research on RAGA and the push for structural change. It has had enormously distorting effect on U.S. law. It provides a mechanism for corporations to pass money through to help attorneys general in ways that they would not be able to individually solicit for their own campaigns, given their role, their regulatory role over those very industries. Mm. Um, and that's been going on since RAGA was created back more than 20 years ago now. And it has accelerated under some of the attorneys general who have uh, led it, like Scott Pruitt, who was, you know, in my view, another corrupt individual, someone who was lax uh, on ethical rules, to say the least, and who was willing to do the bidding of the oil industry in attacking climate legislation and climate rules, even the very modest clean power plan to advance the interests of the funders of RAGA. And now here they are pushing back on the pretty minimal requirements of the SEC. So you've got the AG of West Virginia going after the EPA and the SEC, the same state's treasurer banning any investment firm or bank that's not pro-coal, all while Joe Manchin, West Virginia's senator, is trying to ram a pro-pipelines permitting deal through Congress. Here's state treasurer Riley Moore encapsulating it all in one big dad joke. I'd say here in West Virginia, the only kind of black rock that we like is coal. <laughs> That's it for this time. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you back here next week. 
Drilled is an original Critical Frequency production. The show was created and reported by me, Amy Westervelt. Original music and mixing and mastering for this episode by Peter Duff. Our artwork is by Matthew Fleming. You can find us online at drilledpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at We Are Drilled. For ad-free episodes and bonus content, you can sign up for our newsletter at drilledpodcast.com or our Patreon at patreon.com slash drilled. 